listener. Kick Bump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boon who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kick Bump Podcast, your fortnightly DM on all things motherhood. One, two, three, four. Hello. Hi. Do I have a Harvey update for you? Jumping straight in. Well, so what's happened is... Um, how old's Harvey? Two he's, he's two, he was two in May, feet. so okay. I yep. stopped calculating how sure. many months yep, he is. Yep. It's, it's, he's two and a bit. I appreciate that because the, <laughs> when they he's say 27, 27 and a half months. <laughs> what? No, just know. go with... It's, it's, it goes like this. Months up until a year. Yeah. Okay. Then it's round up or round down to 12 or 18. But don't say 18 months, say a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, it's two, two and a half, three, three and a half, yeah, and so on. I agree. So he's almost two and a half, yeah. I think. Yeah, cool. That's what I'll do. <laughs> and he is, what we've done is we've taken the side of his cot down. Oh, yeah. Meaning he's kind of got like a little big boy bed. <laughs> um, and the reason being is for the longest time, he has never, ever tried to get out of the cot. And I heard all these stories like in our kick bump community about. Yeah, people climb out of the yeah. I mean, kids climb Apparently out of the Apparently I did too. Yeah, so okay. I was waiting for it. Hmm. And he just, he just never did. However, lately what he's been doing is he's worked out how to take his sleep suit off. So he was taking that off. What's the purpose of him, by the way? Of the sleep sack? Yeah. To, well, so it's because of SIDS and safety around yep. like suffocating and stuff at night, they recommend that you don't use blankets up oh, until a certain that age. that makes sense. So yes. instead of blankets, it's like a way of keeping yeah, yeah, them warm. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and they can like move around, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. never going to yeah. go over their head. Yeah. So that's what it is for. And I think like... Some people move into blankets like from two. Every kid's different. Harvey still doesn't know what to do with a blanket. Is in we've had one night where we were away and we forgot to. We actually left his sleep sack in an Airbnb, and yeah. there was one night that we weren't there, so we didn't have it with us. And I gave him a little blanket. He was old enough. This was only like a yeah. month or so ago, and he just like. Kept what kicking it thing? down and then would get cold and call out to me and I'd have to like pull it back up and He's tuck like, him in. why uh, am I not trapped in the little yeah. suit? <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, so at some point we'll have to make that transition, but I think when it's maybe warmer at mm. night we'll do that. But um, Imagine anyway. I just thought I just had a flash of um, Laura when you were talking to her about getting Harvey a pillow yeah. and she was like, I don't care. And then I just imagined Imagine her here. sitting here right now hearing about the blanket and she'd be so over it. <laughs> I don't think she'll be listening to this. No, 100%. But I ended up going to our community about this for like the, you know, what to expect in this phase because now that he, so he's upstairs in our house and we're downstairs. Mm. So now that he can get out of his cot, he can also open his door. So he's like Uh, getting all the way to the stairs and coming down. Yeah. Okay. Because I was going to say, what do you have stairs wise? Do you have like one of the little kid gates or anything? We don't. And he's really good on the stairs. Like he's never been that kid to kind of like rush down the stairs Mm. or like fall over or whatever. My concern was if he like wakes up from a nightmare or whatever, and I don't hear him on the monitor and he tries to walk down the stairs like half asleep, then that's a bit of a different story. Yeah. But I felt like weird because people were like, why don't you put a lock on the door? And I was like, that's weird. I feel like weird locking my child in their room. You know, it's just like it mentally doesn't feel right. But keeping them in like a cage-like bed is. (laughs) Yeah, cage bed, fine with. Lock on the door when I can hear them. No, not doing it. (laughs) But the one time that that's happened, so at 1.30 the other night we actually got, Josh actually found the video footage on the monitor. So it's actually quite funny to watch. But 
This is like one of the first nights he didn't have the rail up and he like his head like tipped off the cot and he fell and he didn't actually cry, but he kind of like half came to and then started crawling towards the door. And luckily I hadn't woken up at that point, but I'd woken up when I'd heard the door start to open. So I ran up the stairs because I saw in the monitor he he was like the sleep sack wasn't in the cot, so which meant he was still wearing it. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to try and go down the stairs in the sleep sack. Nightmare because you can't walk in them. So I ran up the stairs and he was just there and he was like half asleep. And I was like, buddy, it's still nighttime. Put him back down. He went back to sleep. A treat. So it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But he is like kind of waking up on his own terms now. And Mm. again, I've spoken on this podcast before about I know children aren't robotic and they're not meant to just be like two (laughs) o'clock. But I think what we might have to do, which a lot of people said really worked for them when when their kid like suddenly could have the freedom to walk around, was get those little light clocks that like basically they turn yellow when it's like morning and you can get up and then it stays blue and that's supposed to tell them like it's still time to stay in in bed. So we might try that soon, but we're just we're in we're in the middle of the phase and it's exciting. Yeah. Anyway, that's yep. the Harvey update, which I is quite it. a big phase. <laughs> yeah, cute. Um, well, before we get into today's guests, I have a toddler tantrum tale to yes. share with you. This one is from Bindi. I have a little toddler tantrum that my two-year-old boy did over the weekend. We live in New Zealand and at the moment it's been just raining constantly and we were at a market and he had his gumboots on and he had his rain overalls on. We're having good fun. He's in the puddles or we have coffee and nice food. And then I see him bend down and decide that it might be fun to drink the water out of the puddles. And bear in mind, this is a really busy market and there are kids everywhere jumping in puddles and dogs. So yeah, he starts to drink out of the puddle and I, of course, go over and, no, no, we don't do that. And uh, yeah, he decided that I had just told him that the world was over (laughs) and packed the biggest tantrum in the puddles. I like I fear the day that I'm a parent where there's like my mm. kids putting dirty shit in their mouth like because so yesterday I was mm. talking to a friend who was like her kid mm. was scooping up in the middle of the door like as in oh, um, no. like the front door yuck, yuck. the bottom rail yuck. thing and he was, <laughs> he was scooping it up and like, like crunching and in dirt it. and like cool. there was just, I don't know just like things that have been yeah. dropped in there or like the wind just leaving yeah. open the door yeah. and, just and he was just scooping it up and eating it and I was like I don't think I can handle that I don't I know see, what to do I've never had Harvey do that like he's put oh. some random things in his mouth that like weren't necessarily food yeah. but um he's never been the kid that never like scooped up the no, dirt from the door <laughs> even like dog poo in the backyard if we've been lazy and haven't picked it up he'll just point at it like he doesn't go okay. near it he's never oh, been okay kid. I want a kid like that because <laughs> I'm not about the whole putting their mouth on dirty stuff I don't know I just yeah me neither. I know that it's good for their immune system apparently but anywho agreed agreed okay today's chat I am so excited to get into because you guys have been wanting to hear from Luca from boob to food which if you're not sure what boob to food is it's a hub where parents can get all the information they need around baby nutrition to give them confidence when they're wanting to start their baby on solids I certainly got a lot of my confidence from following their page Um, they've also got a book which is called milk to meals and it's not just a guide. It's got so, so many recipes. It's awesome. And we've also got Kate on who works in their team. Kate is a naturopath, nutritionist and clinical director of boob to food And she's also a mum of two with a third on the way. So Luca and Kate together talk through 
basically how boob to food started, why it started, and also give some great tips on weaning your baby kind of into solids and whether you go spoon fed or um, baby led weaning. A lot of questions that often come up in the community I tried to ask in this Mm. chat. So I hope you guys find it as insightful as I did. I also feel like there was a few moments where I was like, I really needed this kick up the butt. He's like over two now, well, two and a half as we've discussed. And there were still some things that I've kind of kept in our habit for a little bit too long when it comes to, you know, kind of his independence with food and stuff like that. So I found it really good and I learn a lot, uh, even though I do follow them. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this chat as much as I did. Luca and Kate, thank you so much for coming on. I can't tell you our kick bump community bring up boob to food so much just within chats of their own. And so I know so many of them are going to be very excited for this episode to hear from you both. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. I would love to start with just how you guys came together and started boob to food in the first place. Yeah. I started boob to food about five years ago now when I had my second child. So I have three Mm. children, an eight-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And With my eight-year-old, I guess when he was recommended to start solids and it was the typical, you know, start on rice cereal and it just didn't really sit well with me that that was his first foods. And it led me to start researching into food and I started realizing that their main requirements were iron. I went to a, like a six-week kind of course for babies and I really got inspired from that. It was run by a naturopath. And then I started feeding him all the weird and wonderful foods that we promote now, like liver and sardines and broth. And Mm -hmm. I started getting a lot of questions, people saying, poor poor Flynn, you know, being um, exposed to all of these foods. And people, though, were starting to kind of, I don't know, I feel like now it's so normal, but Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't. It was really abnormal the way I was feeding him. And then in turn, how I started feeding myself and the foods that I was eating as well. And so... It started getting a lot of questions. And anyway, fast forward then to Florence, who is now five. Mm. She was always on the very small side. She is still on the very small side. And so when I went for her four-month checkup, we were recommended to start her on solids at four months, even though she was absolutely no knee ready to start solids. She was not sitting up at all, no signs of readiness at all. And I knew that the guidelines were six months. And so when I rebutted that, They didn't really have a very good answer to give me no evidence base. It was just what they had learned when they were, you know, when the doctor and the nurse were at school Mm -hmm. at uh, university. And so I just thought, oh, there needs to be some more education around this. And then again, she was recommended rice cereal. And I just thought, no, I'm going to start just sharing our journey. Uh, It was on the kind of early Instagram days. So five years ago, there wasn't a lot of businesses or anything on there and to be honest, I did not ever think it was going to be a business. I just started sharing some foods that we were making her. And then more importantly, the why, mm. like why I'm giving liver, why I'm doing this. And I had no nutrition background. I am a midwife and a nurse by trade. And so, you know, I have some health background, yeah. but not a nutrition background. So this was kind of just sharing for friends and family, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And then people just really, really enjoyed it. And it just sort of snowballed and I've been trying to play catch up since. (laughs) And now I hired Kate, when did I hire you? Like a year ago? ago. Yeah. Yeah. So Kate's an incredible nutritionist and naturopath. Mm -hmm. And um, now we're a team of 10, which is incredible over the time. Yeah. That's so cool. And Kate, what were you doing? I mean, are you a naturopath and nutritionist? Yeah. So I've been a naturopath and nutritionist for 
over 10 years now, which mm. is weird. I feel like blink and suddenly I've got a, a decade of clinical experience. And I'd always worked in the space of like women's health and pediatrics. So yeah, there was a lot of like natural overlap in what we were doing. And I've always been really passionate about education mm. and obviously a platform like boob to food you know, I'm doing a lot of education one-on-one with patients in the clinic, but working with one person, I guess the ripple effect of that is so small. And mm. like, you know, once you have that broader reach, like there's just so much more impact for the message that you can share. Mm. Um, and it's been amazing. Like it's, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. It's quite special <laughs> getting to be a part of a business that does so much good yeah. for others and helping others. Luca, you mentioned in your story about when a baby is technically ready. Yeah. That six month, four month, mm-hmm. those kind of time frames that a lot of you hear a lot about it online and also health professionals have different kind of opinions on it. Mm-hmm. I remember getting a lot of advice from your page myself around this stage because I think I was keen to start Harvey on solids purely just for the excitement of getting him onto solids. Like mm. it just looked like so much fun prepping food and everything like that. I didn't know what was ahead of me. Oh, so it, always um, looks, it always looks fun. <laughs> then you start started, and you're like, what have I yeah. done? Um, but I thought all of the information that you guys provided about, you know, the, the different signs and stuff are really helpful. So do you mind going through some of those signs? Um, yep. You know, the baby might be four months when these signs are happening, could be further along. So what yep. are they and what are the kind of yeah, things that people could look out for. Yeah. So I guess it's important to know that the World Health Organization, their recommendations came out in 2013, which is when they changed it from, it was four months and then they changed to six months. But more importantly, it's around six months. So I always say like babies walk at different ages, talk at different ages. They are also ready for solids at different ages. So it's not like a magic button goes bing at six months and then they're ready to start because it doesn't happen. And, you know, I've had three children. They've all been very like ready at very different stages. So it's more important to look for the signs of readiness. And basically one of the ones that always sort of tricks people a little bit is an interest in food. Mm. And this does happen around four months of age because they are interested in everything. Mm. So I say if they're interested in your car keys, it doesn't mean they want to drive. <laughs> or if they pick up a piece of poo, it doesn't mean they want to eat it. Like they'll pick up anything and put it in their mouth. Yeah, It doesn't actually mean that they're ready for solids, but it's actually a really good sign. It means that they're starting to recognize that things do go in their mouth. They're starting to map their mouth, prep for like reducing the gag reflex. There's lots of benefit for them playing and putting things in their mouth and from an immune perspective as well picking up all the bad and the good Mm. bacteria and germs. But it doesn't mean that they're ready for solid. So whilst it's a good sign, it shouldn't be seen in isolation with other signs. And so the more important signs are that they have good trunk stability Mm. and also head and neck control. So basically, and this is where it can also get a little bit grey because I guess uh, some babies aren't sitting unassisted mm. by six months of age, which means, you know, if you were to ponk them on the floor, some will yeah. fall backwards, yeah. yeah, which is really common. And they might do that until they're eight or nine months of age. They might flop to the sides as well or forwards. That's really normal. But basically the idea is that if you were to put them on your lap or in the high chair, that they would have enough trunk stability to sit upright. So mm. They might use their hands a little bit as like their propping reflexes should be working by them where they can put their hands to the sides Mm. and keep themselves upright, but they shouldn't, I mean, in the high chair will stop them from Mm. falling backwards, but they shouldn't be slumping forwards. And the big thing is that their head shouldn't be boppling around. So, you know, those, I don't know, 
bopple things that are in cars yeah. do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doll things. Yeah, where you go like that. They shouldn't be like that. Their head should should be quite stable mm. and they also shouldn't be flopping forward because as you can imagine, if you try it even now, if yeah. you put your head forward and try and swallow, it's really hard to do. Mm. And so if their head's flopping forward, there's a really, really big increase in choking as well because mm. that airway is getting quite occluded and narrowed. Mm. So you want them to have nice open I guess, stability and head and neck control um, and also the ability to reach forward for the food. So even if you're not doing baby low weaning, which I'm sure we'll get into, which is like finger food, even for spoon feeding, you want them to be in control of the meal and to be in control of how much food they want to have. And so they really should have the ability to either grab for the spoon, grab for the food. Mm. And so they should be using their hands. And that means they also need that trunk stability. Mm. But also from like a digestive point of view, trunk stability is really important because that's an indicator that those digestive muscles are going to be working well. Mm. If they're holding up the core, then that means hopefully that when they start eating that the peristalsis, which is like the intestines that need to do the contraction like movement to move the food through mm. the mouth out to out, um, are actually going to be working well mm. and hopefully then reduce the risk of things like constipation, which is a big thing that mm. we see when little ones are started too early. Yeah, okay. The other layer to that, and I guess where, I mean, like with anything, just people related, not even just kids, there's no black and white, like this is 100% of the time what should be done. Mm -hmm. With kids, the main area of contention where still it might be relevant that you introduce solids earlier is if you've got a child who's at high risk of allergies. Okay. So the research currently and the recommendation is for any of the top allergen foods to be introduced, they say early and often. And so by definition of like early in that it's um, before their first birthday. Mm -hmm. So sometime after the commencement of solids and before the, uh, their first birthday. And then you want to introduce those allergen foods quite frequently in high risk children, so a child who, for example, has severe eczema, who has um, an immediate family member with an allergy or has an existing allergy themselves, they may benefit from an earlier introduction. The research at the moment has been mainly on peanut and egg. Mm -hmm. And so it's tricky because researchers have acknowledged that they don't know for sure that they can then say, well, this applies to all of those allergen foods. Or maybe it just applies to peanut and egg, but there does seem to be a reduction in the risk of developing allergies if those foods are introduced from around the four-month mark mm -hmm. for those high-risk children. Yeah, mm -hmm. but we're talking like a little bit of peanut butter on the end of your fingertip, yeah. not like yes. a bowl of porridge with peanut butter. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that's a, a huge difference as yeah. well. Like it's not commencing solids and like that volume of, you know, yeah. say really fibrous foods or like... Yeah, large portions yeah. of meals or three meals or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's um, exposure to those allergen foods mm -hmm. if indicated for your child. So I think that's where from, you know, the advice of health professionals, there's some confusion. Um, there's not, you know, a blanket recommendation mm -hmm. for every child because not every child is high risk of developing an allergy. And even for those high risk children, it's not a guarantee that they're not going to develop an allergy either. Mm -hmm. And so families still need to you know, kind of look at the child that they have and look mm. at their situation and decide what's going to be the best approach for them. So yeah, if there's ever any query, always speak to your health professional because it's it's tricky and mm. parents like there's enough overwhelm, there's enough that you're for thinking sure. about in that time. Mm. So and the guidelines that. keep changing. They do. I was yeah. saying to Kate at breakfast this morning, like when I had mm. Lynn, my son who's eight now, 
the allergy guidelines were to have no allergens until they're five. Hmm. Yeah. That seems bizarre. I know. And then that year that he was born, 2015, is when the LEAP trial was brought out, which is mm. the big trial that's that was on peanuts. Yeah. And so that's kind of shifted mm. everything and to say, no, actually early and often is better. And mm. so everything flipped on its head. And so it's like the goalposts keep changing. And mm. so yeah, that's why I think. children <laughs> yeah. will get different recommendations. Yeah. And, yeah. and even with all of these changes in the guidelines, we're still seeing an increase in allergies. So mm. I think that's confusing for families as well, because like Australia has one of the highest rates of allergy in the world. And so what we're doing is still, it's not perfect. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think looking at those individual variances and what works for your family is mm. kind of what it always comes back to. Mm. Yeah. And getting a second opinion too, if you feel like you've been given advice that doesn't feel quite right, yeah. like Luca did, it's like, yeah. you yeah. know, oh, rice cereal, I don't know. It doesn't sit quite yeah. right. Like you can look into it further. You can ask yeah. for, you know, a second opinion or additional support. Um, I think that's yeah. a great tip because I feel like as new mums particularly, you you tend to question mm. everything that you do and think. Yeah. And then obviously you would hope that when you do reach out to a health professional yeah. that you, you know, you, you can trust them. And then I feel like any time that I have still felt off about something, mm. like be okay with that feeling. Yeah. So mm. you, you are very in tune with your yeah. baby and what's going on. So really. I, I love that tip to get a second opinion or look into it yourself even more if you, if you feel, cause it's, um, yeah, more often than not, I feel like we are actually on it. <laughs> oh, all the time. And I think, you know, it's, we have that intuition. It's mm. other people that screw that up for us. And so like <laughs> accounts like mine are great if it aligns with you and, yeah. you know, but my account won't be, for, our for information is yeah. not for everyone and mm -hmm. it's not going to sit with everybody and not everybody wants this kind of information. And so, you know, you've got to find what works for you and what mm. works for your family and trust your own intuition. That's mm. what we always say and come back to with everything because it's stronger than anyone else's opinion. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 100%. One, two, three, when it is time to start solids, something that you were speaking to earlier and a lot of what you share is um, the kind of types of foods. Yeah. And it's not, I suppose, the maybe what traditionally people might have been first introduced to. So why is that? Is it because of all the research that you've gone and that iron is such an important thing? Like what is it that's if, the, whether they're still being breastfed or they're on formula or that's weaning, you know, whenever they start their solids, yeah. what is it about their diet that's like super important to include? And is there signs that, is there signs that the baby gives off that there's something that they're missing? Hmm. I asked a really roundabout question. No, there, no, no. It's good. <laughs> you know what I find super interesting when you say like that it might not be the foods that were traditionally recommended. Mm. I think they actually were the foods that were mm. like, if we think traditionally, way like back, way back, probably. they were the foods. Yeah. And so the introduction of things like rice cereal, that was only fairly recent. Mm. Like that's the modern introduction. Um, the main thing that you know, when we're thinking about the most important nutrient requirements for infants starting solids, because they consume such a small amount. Yeah. So we talk so much about nutrient density and wanting to like really get bang for your buck for that tiny bit that's going in, whether you're doing finger foods, whether you're doing purees, like you want it to be nutrient dense. And the biggest nutrient requirement is iron. 
we have tried to figure out how to make. So the recommendation is 11 milligrams of iron per day, Mm. which is more than an adult male a day. It's actually quite a lot. And when you think, you know, starting solids, they're doing one meal a day and it's usually like half on the floor or three quarters on the floor, maybe a little bit in the mouth, like 11 milligrams is heaps. Mm. And so some of that iron does come from milk feeds, whether it's formula, whether it's breast milk, mm-hmm. it's still there. Mm-hmm. But we know that the amount you get from those milk feeds, it their requirements start to exceed what you right. get there. Mm-hmm. So that's where we come to foods like liver, for example, mm-hmm. which is really high for iron. Mm-hmm. So gram for gram, it's like one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. It's really easily absorbed by the body as well because there is a big difference between the absorption rates of fortified iron in mm-hmm. foods and heme iron found in something like liver or other animal foods. And there's other, like if you don't want to feed your baby liver, then, well, but the thing is babies don't actually mind liver. They don't have those mental aversions that, Mm. I mean, I definitely have. Mm. (laughs) Um, But there's other foods as well. So like, you know, all of your meats or if you're plant-based, there's still iron in like your leafy greens, Mm. in eggs, plenty of other ways that you can get it in. But that's really the one that we kind of focus on as a priority. Mm. We really want to be exposing our babies to a wide range of tastes and textures and then also be using that opportunity to often like feed ourselves better, be teaching our babies, even though, you know, they're so young, they're not like really consciously learning about food, but still just that exposure and Mm. um, yeah, showing them flavors and textures and colors and all of those sorts of things that are important too. Yeah. And that's something that, that I'm really passionate about is that just trying to feed the whole family. Yeah. So, you know, the whole thing is we don't want to just provide our babies with a meal and then us eat what the toast scraps or something like that. Mm-hmm. If we can make a meal that can also feed baby, that's mm-hmm. going to be so much more beneficial heading into the toddler years, as you would know now. Mm-hmm. Like if you can share a meal with Harvey, yeah. that's a lot easier than you having to make him separate meals. And yeah. so doing that from the get go is so important, I mm. think, in eating together. We get so many questions like, my baby won't eat. My baby doesn't know what to do with food. My baby just throws it. They spit it out. But like so many things. And our answer is always mm. just sit with them and eat mm. because so often we either sp- uh, spoon feed them mm-hmm. and so they're not watching us mm. or we'll give them food while, you know, and of course we have jobs too and we can't always sit with them. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we'll prep dinner while they eat or we'll clean up while they eat. And they never get the opportunity to watch us eat. Mm. And so how are they meant to learn how to eat if they're never watching Mm. us? Like they learn to talk from watching us walk. They have to also watch us eat. And so, and eating the same thing. So we can talk to them about the foods. Mm. We can, you know, say, isn't this crunchy? Isn't this, you know, look at this red food. This is cold. And Mm. mummy crunches and mummy or daddy, you know, we bite the food and yum, yum, chew, you know, like just talking like that. That's how they're going to learn. Mm. And so... That starts from the get-go and it starts from sharing food from the get-go if you can. Mm. And that, if you're spoon-feeding, that might be pureeing what you're eating, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, but it's still the same food, mm. hopefully. Yeah, it's so it's it's great because I've more recently we've tried to make that switch of doing that because Harvey's always had a very early bedtime. And with me going back to work, it mm. was very rare that I would make it home in time for us to kind of all sit down for dinner and enjoy it. So usually I'm getting home towards the end of his dinner. Yeah. But what we're trying to do more now, especially over weekends and stuff like that, is have that time. And it's mm. it's interesting. He eats, I don't want to say better because like he'll eat however he wants to eat. But mm-hmm. when we are sitting together, yeah. he just, he's into it more. He's more yeah. engaged in it. Uh, so I do find like the earlier that you can introduce that, I think 
that makes so much sense mm, to me Yeah, of them being able to absorb like what you're doing. And yeah, yeah I think it's a great tip and one that I wish we introduced a little bit earlier, but um, you can always do it though. That's yeah. the thing. Like if you're listening to this and you know, you have a tear or anything, oh my gosh, I've lost it. Like you haven't, mm. you can always come back mm. and, and start new traditions. And like you said, like families work, there's, mm. there's not always going to be the opportunity mm. to eat together I do say though, and this sometimes is a little bit of like a harsh word, I guess, but <laughs> you know, a lot of the time, uh, one parent is working, yeah. one parent is at home. Mm. The parent who is at home, if so, there's a lot of parents, like you were saying, come home too late to to make dinner time, especially with our little ones who might be eating at five o'clock. Mm. And so, well, like we all eat yeah. at five o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> five o'clock <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> that just happens. Unfortunately, <laughs> you just start eating at five, but is more important than one parent mm. doesn't matter who or one adult eats with the child mm. and I always say like that sounds you know rough for the worker who's then yeah. come home and has mm. to eat on their own but you're not relying on watching Josh mm. eat to learn how to yeah, eat <laughs> you know like he could then have a cup of tea with you at the table yeah. and still have the conversation and everything yeah. but it doesn't mean that yeah, like Harvey should be the one that watches him. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be at dinner time. Mm. Like it can be lunchtime, it can be breakfast. Mm. It doesn't have to always be dinner time. But there's so much research about family meal times mm. and the importance of it and the benefits of mm. it. It's just so much on it. And I it think lays foundations for so yeah. much more than just the food as well. You mm. know, it's like yeah. as kids get older and, you know, they're at school or yeah. whatever, it's that conversation and connection as a family and having that time that yeah, you're trying to prioritize is such an important foundation if you can prioritize it somewhere in your week. Might yeah. not be every day. Yeah. But yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Starting on the weekends is a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And it's I found it's also the best way for him to be introduced into different types mm. of foods. Because when I'm yeah. prepping for him, I have like my go-tos that mm. I will just fill the freezer with like prepped lunches and stuff for him. And so often that that will result in like that's what he's having for dinner and then we're only cooking once for the family. Mm. But when we do get to cook together, that's when he's getting introduced to all those like different foods that yeah, aren't yeah. my go-tos for yeah. meal prep. So it is great and the earlier you can do it, I, I would if I could do it all again, I would have done it earlier. Um, and it's just special as well. I do mm-hmm. agree. It's like that family time we actually yeah. get to connect with each other. Speaking about feeding and everything, I would love to go through spoon-fed versus baby-led weaning. I know everyone goes through different different directions with mm-hmm. this one. Um, and there's a lot of like pros and cons to both. I we had a we did a bit of both, to be to be fair. And we still still to this day do a little bit of both, pending on his mood. <laughs> um, but I would love to know the pros and cons of both directions and whether or not there's like a point where spoon feeding should be avoided. Yeah. Um, because like I have no doubt that we probably should stop <laughs> be doing it now at the age that he is. Um <laughs> But it's like maybe it's one of those things as a parent. I feel like it's like my way of keeping him a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it must totally sound so that. silly, no. but it's like no. I don't want you to not need me. No. Um, yeah, would love just your thoughts, especially I think within that kind of like first year of of, yeah. of eating solids. This is a thing that there's pros and cons to both. Mm. So there's really no right and wrong. There mm. is what suits you and your family. It's funny that um, I was alluded to the fact that boob to food has been banned from many baby-led weaning Facebook groups oh. being mentioned because I'm not pro-only baby-led weaning. Oh, not exclusive. <laughs> yes, I'm not exclusive. Mm. And I don't think that we need to be. And even as adults, we eat with spoon sometimes. Mm. Like, that's, you know, how else are you going to mm. eat porridge? Mm-hmm. Like, 
use your hands. <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's pros and cons to both. And so it's what works for you and your family. My biggest thing I think is that the parents need to be relaxed and mealtime needs to be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And if you are the type of mother or father or caregiver who, when you offer your little one finger foods, and if that makes you super anxious, mm. And if you're then like hovering over them, helicoptering every time that the little one makes a gag or anything, mm-hmm. if you're like whacking them on the back or sticking fingers down their throat, that is going to be way more detrimental to yeah. them than not doing finger foods. And yeah. so I think a relaxed parent means a relaxed meal time, which is what the aim is. We want them to enjoy food and come to the table happy. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine every time you ate, if someone mm-hmm. whacked you on the back, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to eat. Mm-hmm. Like it just would set up really negative associations. So there's nothing wrong with spoon feeding. There's other benefits to spoon feeding too. Like we can often get like they'll have, their intake usually is mm-hmm. more. And so, you know, we can usually make these amazing purees full mm-hmm. of all sorts of things. Um, there might be some foods that, you know, like meat that mm-hmm. sometimes are a little bit hard for babies and puree can be a really great option yeah. for that. There's... Lots of benefits to it. I guess there are also some downfalls though, Um, predominantly if you do it for too long, like you mentioned. And so you're not really being exposed to different tastes per se. Like a lot of purees just kind of start tasting the same. Mm. Um, Textures is the biggest one though. Mm. So there's an amazing, like the Solid Starts app is incredible. Mm. It's free and it shows you how to prepare any type of Mm. food. So like even for like the different kind of stages yes. where they're at too. I found yeah. that really useful. It's an incredible app. Mm. Such a good resource for everyone. So I highly recommend that app. If you were to continue spoon feeding and the recommendation is to try and swap over by at least nine months of age, doesn't mean fully, just mm. at least start introducing some finger foods by then. Mm-hmm. Even though babies will gag quite a lot in that first few months, it actually doesn't stop them gagging. Mm. So they'll still do it just later. Mm. And the problem is when they start gagging later in life is those protective mechanisms that our body has to prevent against choking start to diminish. Mm. So, for example, the gag reflex is really far forward in a baby, way further forward than ours is now. Mm. And so you might find that they'll put something just in their mouth and they'll gag. Mm. And that's a good protective mechanism against choking. And basically, like I talked about, when you're starting um, at around that four months, when they start putting stuff in their mouth, that'll start to desensitize it and move that gag reflex back further. Mm. And then as they get older, it gets further backwards. And so then when you're starting finger food, say over a year, Mm. that gag reflex is a lot further back, actually closer to the airway. Mm. I get it when you're first starting. And if they first do that first few gags, it's pretty scary Mm. and they still seem so little, but by nine months, you've been doing solids for three months by then. Mm-hmm. You feel a bit more confident and you can just slowly start to introduce some finger foods. So you can also do what you did though and mm-hmm. offer both from the get-go mm-hmm. combination. And that's what I did with my children because like we mentioned, some purees you can make really nutritious and I wanted them to have that mm-hmm. that option. Um, Or you can just do finger foods and not ever do spoon feeding. And that for some people will be also a great option. So it really just depends on what works for you and your family. There's really no right or wrong. The Mm -hmm. only thing I would say with spoon feeding is, like we mentioned, there are some disadvantages, but you can make it better. So for example, with um, offering them the puree on the spoon, let them be involved with that. So I talked about earlier how we really want them to be in control of the meal. Mm. 
And so we want to let go of here comes the aeroplane, mm-hmm. force feeding. Mm-hmm. They need to be the ones that bring their mouth to the spoon. So one disadvantage of spoon feeding can be that there's the chance of overfeeding them mm-hmm. and them losing, I guess, that like appetite regulation. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, I guess, disadvantages to finger foods mm-hmm. too. And so one might be that the increased risk of gagging. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an increased risk of choking if you're not offering foods in appropriate ways. And so just getting educated on that. And I highly recommend doing a first aid mm-hmm. course for any parent, just so that you know the difference between gagging and choking. Gagging mm-hmm. is so developmentally normal and we don't want to interfere with that, but it can be scary and is often misinterpreted as a choke that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was great. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Because I think I think there is there's a lot of unfortunately there's a lot of um, judgment and pressure when it comes to these kind of things, as there is a lot of different things mm-hmm. within parenting. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to know that obviously both are fine to do. Yeah. yeah. And to just work through that, mm-hmm. you know, as a family, it is something that I'm working through at the moment. Is falling out of the habit because when I when I said that we still spoon feed it's not purees it's like you know help him finish his pasta we'll start to or porridge Mm. we'll start to um use the spoon but it's like something that I want to like smack my hand away from doing Mm. because I'm like he might not have finished it but he might not want to finish it and it's not force feeding but it is one of those things it's like until they can learn to you know keep picking it up if they want it or not. Like how else are they going to know if you're always there changing their mind for them? So Mm -hmm. I think it's a good reminder. (laughs) Yeah. Or even if you, you know, towards the end, because I know like my son's the same age, like it gets a bit hard to scoop. Yeah. And it also gets a bit hard to scoop up at the bottom. So sometimes, you know, I'll scoop it for him and then I'll just hold out the spoon Mm. and, you know, then it's up to him if he puts it in his mouth, like he'll grab it off of me. So that's, you're not spoon feeding him. You're just scooping up her last bit. Yeah, okay. Bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So maybe we're that's okay. my four and a half. Yeah, okay. That's okay. totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be well, different cool. if you're like, eat this, Harvey. Oh, and, yeah. Know, no, like, if he says no, no. It's, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he's like um, my son, he's flicks a spoon oh, and yeah. you regret it because then porridge flies over there and you're like, great. He'll get his his plate when he's really done and he'll he'll be like, all done, all done, all done. And if I don't grab it, it'll be on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. You just say it without grabbing it. Um, well, that's great. Thank you. And I do want to also talk about something that, again, I feel like a lot of people have very strong opinions on. And I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions around it. But breastfeeding, if you are so lucky that it works out for you and that you do choose to go down that route, mm. for a short versus long period of time, how do you know because again, from health experts, there's different opinions. How do you know what's best for you and your baby? Mm. I think only you can answer mm. what's best yeah. for you and your baby. No one can tell you. No one can tell you what's right or wrong. And it has to be, I guess, if you're talking about when to wean, it has to be a decision that's a mother-baby dyad decision. Yeah. No one else can Tim can make an input into that. And so there are recommendations, but whether everyone meets that or whether your baby chooses to meet that is different. So the strong recommendation is exclusive breastfeeding or formula feeding until six months of age. And so like we mentioned, that's when you would start solids around that age. Then the recommendation is to that milk should remain the priority, whether it again be breast milk or formula until 12 months of age. So that means that food should be in accompaniment with the milk. So Food shouldn't overtake milk. And this is something that gets mm. brought up a lot and mm. twisted a lot. Food shouldn't overtake milk. It'll be a gradual, um, you know, you shouldn't have to think too much about it. Mm. That's a problem. We think so much about things. Mm. 
it shouldn't be like, oh, what if this amount of food was too much or anything, mm. you know, it's just, I guess in an ideal world, if someone was breastfeeding, you would breastfeed on demand. Mm-hmm. And this is talking an ideal world mm-hmm. where we're not working mothers mm-hmm. and we're not, you know. Needing a routine. Yeah, needing routine. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not going to happen for everyone. And I totally understand that. And, you know, that's just the way that life is. But in an ideal world, what's meant to happen, I guess, is that you breastfeed on demand and then you feed them as they wish and they mm-hmm. take what they want from food. And then gradually over time, their demand feeding will go down a little bit and their food grad- gradually will increase. And mm-hmm. again, babies will do this at all different stages. And so I guess that's the idea for that next six months. And then from 12 months, the recommendation from the World Health Organization is to continue breastfeeding until the age of two. Again, many will not do this. I think the stats mm-hmm. are, what are they? Couldn't remember exactly. So low. But it that, drops off mm-hmm. quite dramatically, even within the first six weeks mm-hmm. of breastfeeding or, and um, definitely up to the first six months, mm-hmm. like breastfeeding rates dramatically decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, where possible, if you can continue to breastfeed until that two-year mark or beyond, mm-hmm. um, there's always benefits. Mm. I think this is something else that it's often, you know, a lot of health professionals say, there's no nutritional benefit to breast milk after six months or 12 months. And it's like, well, yes, the nutrient requirements do get overtaken by food. And so what they're consuming through solids. And there's also so many immunological benefits. Mm. There's so many emotional benefits as well. Yeah, that's what I miss the most, I think. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. And if you haven't been able to breastfeed, you don't necessarily get the same immunological benefits, although formula has come a long way and mm. they're definitely trying to replicate some of those compounds mm. in breast milk to be supportive, but you still get connection mm. and you still, you know, your baby can still get comfort. So it really does come down to that relationship between you and your baby. And again, just seeing where you're at as a family, what you can manage. Really, it's important to get to that 12 month mark, whichever mode of feeding from that nutritional perspective for mm. your infant. And then from there, like we have so many mums reach out who they get really concerned because they have to go back to work, their child's going to be in daycare, they're having trouble pumping mm. or their, their baby won't take a bottle, those sorts of things. So there's many factors to look at. Mm. And I think it is just like trying to cut out that noise and coming back to you, your child, your mm. situation and whatever you can do. Like we do want to promote and protect breastfeeding where possible but it's, it's not always possible. So mm-hmm. then also having compassion and understanding for that and also towards ourselves, not yeah. just towards everybody else. It's like you can only do what you can do, yeah. really. I think it's important to note, like Kate said, though, if you were to wean before 12 months, you do have to replace that with another type yeah. of yeah. either donor milk or formula milk or if you can express your own milk, but you have to replace it. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of... They need that from a nutritional perspective. But after 12 months, you don't need to replace it. And this is something that we want to kind of shout from the rooftops because Mm. they do not need cow's milk. If you want to give it, it's fine, Mm. but they don't need it. Mm. You don't have to replace it. The idea is that they wean onto a balanced diet. Mm -hmm. And it's quite odd that we have been so attuned to the fact that we need to then replace our milk with another milk Mm. of any milk, cow, almond, oat, Mm. anything. Mm. They don't need that. If your baby wants a comfort drink, totally fine. Mm. Offer that. You do whatever you want to do, but do they need it? No. Mm. And so it's something that we try and really promote mm. heavily because it's quite odd. And then there's there's also some downfalls if you do mm. swap to cow's milk because then cow's milk can inhibit the absorption of iron, which is the one that we keep saying is really important, especially for that first two years of life. Mm. 
And also, it's quite filling if you were drinking yeah. that much cow's milk as an adult that then can displace the nutrients that they need to be getting from food. And then so something that we see a lot is this cycle of little ones who their milk has been replaced by cow's milk mm. and then they're rejecting their meals. Mm-hmm. And so we see that a lot in that second year of life as well. And so if that's happening and if that's you, that's when you want to start to reduce the cow's milk. You don't really want to exceed 500 mils a day, which I think is yeah, that's even a still a lot, yeah. but that's the guidelines not to exceed. But you know, and then if you're offering like almond milk or coconut milk or any of those milks as a comfort drink, that's totally fine. But they offer no nutritional benefit. Cow's milk does have mm-hmm. nutritional benefits to it, but the other ones would be purely for comfort, which mm-hmm. is fine. But you also don't want them to fill up on those and then not get the nutrients from food. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little bit of a balance and juggling act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this chat so much and I know the community is just going to get so much out of it, but you share a lot of this incredible insight in your own podcast, which I do want to give a shout out to. And I wondered if you had any, you know, favorite episodes or specific episodes that you you would want to shout out, mm. feel free, but otherwise yeah. just as a whole, well, I would recommend. Because we talked about weaning. We do yeah. have two on weaning, which mm-hmm. have been really popular, which are just, um, we share, we share our, our own weaning stories, mm. which is what a lot of people like to listen to. And our very first episode is all about starting solids. Yeah. And then, yeah, we try and um, interview other experts in the field as well and, yeah, make it a really evidence-based podcast. So hopefully people enjoy it. But thank you. I'm sure they do. Lots (laughs) of them, including myself. And, yes, of course, the podcast is also Boob to Food if anyone wants to check it out. So thank you again for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining, guys. Hope you enjoyed that chat. If you would like more info, you can check out our show notes of the episode. And if you would like to get involved with the KickPod, you can find us on Instagram at KickPod. Send us a voice note or DM or question there, and we'll be posting all our videos and behind the scenes on that KickPod Insta too. So you can show your support by giving us a follow. And if you would like to join a bit of a virtual mothers group is what we like to call it, we have our Kick Bump Facebook group. So you're all welcome. Welcome there. Uh, There's so much love and support in that group. It's something that I'm very proud to be a part of and we would love to have you. If you would like to learn more about Kik, you can head to our website, kikapp.com, or you can head to the Apple Store and Google Play Store. And if you'd like to join Kik, we have a seven-day free trial. We will be back in your ears very shortly. Bye.